Hello, Victoria. On this episode of the Fifth Estate Podcast, I have for you a pre-recorded conversation that I had with Independent Senate candidate for Victoria, Damien Richardson. Uh, we talk about his experience in, with the anti-mandate and anti-lockdown protests. Uh, we talk a little bit more about the Shrine and how um, the, those events at the Shrine and how the media corrupted our, uh, the narrative or actually pushed their narrative and, and corrupted that uh, what actually happened uh, to, you know, obviously to, to further the government narrative. Anyway, I, I really enjoyed this conversation with Damien. I think it is uh, one that I hope that you get some, um, some benefit out of. And if you don't know who Damien Richardson is, it's, um, you know, it's well worth listening to, to sit down and, you know, get to know him a bit better and, and all that sort of stuff. So, Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Uh, with me now is Mr. Damien Richardson, uh, Independent Senate candidate for Victoria. Now, um, for those outside of Victoria, prior to 2020, Damien is probably most well known for his role in Neighbours and the TV adaptions of the Jack Irish series that appeared, I think, on ABC, and I think I saw it on Foxtel or Stan, I can't remember which one it was, but it's on somewhere on, on, the, on the interwebs or streaming services. Now, since 2020, he has been uh, in the corporate media as part of the public opposition to the draconian health measures uh, imposed by the Andrews regime. Now, welcome to the Fifth Estate Podcast, Damien. Thank you, Cameron. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Now, um, is there anything else that you want to add on? Um, just give us a bit of a, a rundown. Did you of... said I've been part of the corporate media. No, no you've since... been in. Oh, I've been in the corporate media, yes. but now I'm not in the corporate media. Well, it's you were um, like Daily Mail puts you up every day oh. as part of that. So, I mean, I don't want to start off the bat by saying and they get they, yeah. they put the shot, they shot in of they couldn't they get a closer shot of my head just to make me look like yes, <laughs> or they did a, a still from somewhere of you in a bar or something like that from a scene mm-hmm. from Neighbours, or they mm-hmm. mentioned previous relationships and all that sort of stuff. So that's what I mean yeah. by in the corporate media. I wasn't going to yes, say yes. the corrupt corporate press or the the foreign. You know, whatever it is. So I just I thought had I'd start not nice. long got, got left the shrine, and there was a message in my inbox from some friendly reporter from the Daily Mail. Just wanted to have a bit of a catch up if he could. Oh. So oh. that's how quickly it works. And but they were giving a rundown on what I was doing when I was actually there because I was doing some negotiations with the police, um, trying to get people out off the shrine before it just turned to well, what it turned to in the end. Um, but yeah, it was it's. You know, they're, obviously they want to do a hit piece. I've seen it before. I've been around for long enough to know that, and, and I don't care because mm. you have to get to that point. Yeah. If you can come out and say the things that I'm saying, you have to get to a point where you don't really care what the corporate media says about you. Yeah. Now, and that's why this, the whole political system is corrupted because everyone wants to pander to the uh, the corporate media. Yep. The, the you can tw- understand it. Of course they do. Yeah, the 24-7 news bite and news cycle and all that sort of stuff. Exactly um, right. Yeah. Now, now, you did mention the, the Shrine. I was going to talk about that. Later yeah. on, um, soon as we mentioned, let, let's talk about that one. Um, I know we, we've seen, you know, what people will say is biased media by um, Harvey and Rukshan and all that sort of stuff with their streaming mm-hmm. and everything like that. But as you were mm-hmm. there, what was it like? And, um, you know, one part that they, you know, that, that people are, are going on about is that they ended up there. My view, or, or from what I understand, is that they were herded there by Vic Pol. Um, so I, 
correct me if I'm wrong, you know, feel free to. Is I don't... How would you know? How would you know? They'd started shooting on protesters with rubber bullets earlier in the morning around Burke Street Mall and, and Swanson Street, et cetera. Uh, I got there a bit later than that. And so by that state, how, who's in control of that situation? I think what had happened the day before when we were on the Westgate Bridge was a humiliation to the government. Yes. They were, uh, you know, made to look like fools or certainly to make to look like they had no control over what was happening in the population. And there was a phalanx of police waiting for us when we came off of the Westgate Bridge and there was a bit of aggro between the police and some of the younger guys probably from the CFMEU who were up for a fight. Um and in the end, we just all walked around that phalanx, and I reckon there was a lot of uh, police officers breathing a sigh of relief because they're young kids, a lot of those guys as well, and men and women, of course. Mm. So we walked around them, but nonetheless, it was a humiliation to the police. I saw the police backing back. I saw them taking off in their cars to get away from the protest group instead of moving towards it as if they had control and they would be saying what was happening on the street. So they actually clearly lost control of the street that day. Nothing happened as a result of them losing control, but they would have felt that in the ranks. And so then they came out really hard the next day. They were ready for a big crowd. I reckon every day was the chant that was going around through the CFMEU members. We're going to be here every day, basically until the mandates are dropped. And every day really was only that day. And the next day there was a significantly less people in the protest group. But the police were ready as if there would have been a carryover. So that was the confrontation. And they, in no uncertain terms, were going to take back control of the narrative if that even meant going so far that they were in danger of losing the narrative from another flank, if you know what I mean, that outflanked yeah. themselves because they came in so hard. Suddenly we became a sympathetic group maybe to some people that mightn't have thought of us as a sympathetic group at all. And, of course, then there was others that thought, why didn't they use real bullets? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the the points of, of that that really – seemed to distract away the tension, uh, you know, from, from the, the attention from what you guys were there for was that they were talking about the rubbish and that, um, you know, you were desecrating the shrine and all that sort of stuff. Well, you know, I'm, I'm of two minds of that, to be honest. Um, you know, my views are, you know, freedom of speech. You do what you want. You, you know, if you do something I don't like, well, hey, you know, I'd rather defend your right to do it than get upset by you doing it in the first place. Um, with that, so yeah, it, it's you know, and I've served in the Army Reserve as well, and everything like that. So I understand the importance of the shrine to ex diggers and service personnel. Though on the other side of the coin, is that that's probably the ideal place for that showdown to happen because it showed the and, and these are my personal views as well. So I'm not trying to get you to agree with it or anything like that. Uh, it showed the militarisation of our police force and that they've gone from being an organisation with the motto of uphold the right to uh, to essentially being the enforcement arm of the state. And, you know, it's prior to 2020, I would have been one that, that backed the blue all the way, would have done it to a hill, no, 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 no questions, whatever, hey, you know, you did the wrong thing. But seeing how it happened, how things have gone on, and how they became politicised and showed... And, you know, Commissioner Patton turned around and said they're, they're not going to show any discretion in handing out these fines. Well, that's part of being a human is that you have the discretion to do it. And that was part of, of what made Vic Pohl, Vic Pohl was that, hey, you know, they are part of... And, and, you know, with the social contract as well. But that, for me, that was a turning point. And I... I think that the media missed that and they should have just focused, obviously we know why, but they should have focused on on that bit 
Um, with that, do you th- now think that um, that Victoria's lost? Victoria's There's gone? many things you've just brought up there, Cameron. There's so many things. You know, I've just written a few notes to keep on top of it. Because- yeah, I'm, I'm not asking to unpack it all and, and all that sort of stuff. But it, oh, it- no, but I'm just – but I, I'd like to because, yeah. as you say, oh, well, they were there desecrating the shrine and that's how quickly that the propaganda works. And then that, 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 that narrative is coming out when we're on the shrine. They wouldn't have a clue whether anyone's desecrated. And they know to say that because that's what you say, because that's going to get everyone up in arms straight away. Oh my God. No, I didn't. I thought they had a point, but when they went to the shrine and started desecrating, I saw them desecrated. No, you didn't. Mm. So whenever the media wanted to show you what I saw was young men, it wasn't me, young men, younger than me, walk around with boxes and, you know, rubbish bags, making sure that everything was picked up, making sure that that shrine was cleaner than what it was when we went on it. And it was already sparkling. There was something urinating on that shrine and it was nobody. It was no human. It was a horse. <laughs> so they cut, yeah, and of course it was because does a horse know anything that's going on? Yeah. The horse is painting the absurdity of the whole thing anyway in human emotions. I'm just, I was going to take a wee when a horse takes a wee and that's, that's who took a wee on the shrine. Well, there you go. Oh. And that, so you make a cutaway of that, you show a little cutaway of a spit of, and that's that's urine. But why? Because the news tells you it's urine. There, of course, it's urine in the, in the collective imagination, and it's happening before we've even gotten off. Mm. The, the same thing happened when we went to Ballarat. We had the protest there. They were already saying that the shops were closed because of the vaxxers were coming and that the, the people were scared. They were saying it before we'd even sort of started. The, the propaganda's moving already. Mm. They know exactly what they're going to do. They know exactly how they're going to disparage this group in the marketplace of ideas, and that's what kills them, this alternative media, even what you're doing, because people start to search for alternative media, as I did after I'd sat at home for months and months on end and thought, hang on, what's really going on here? And I started to look for other opinions, and they know that, and that's a real dangerous and real threat to the narrative. So what do they do instead? They come down harder because how else do they keep control? Yeah. You thought there would be a point in in Australian history where the the police force, the Victorian police, would be firing on the people with rubber bullets? Yeah, honestly. Happened on several occasions. Yeah, never did. And also, you know, growing up, I never, ever thought I would see a Labor government turn around and decide what workers are essential and which ones aren't. And then by the same token as well, those who are deemed essential had to bring papers. I never, ever thought I would see a Labor government do that. Um, no, and no, there it is. I grew up in a household that was really labour, really a labour household too. And uh, my, it was particularly the behest of my grandfather, who was a digger, who I used to get up with early in the morning. And I've, I've said this story a lot, but I guess I need to repeat myself and go to the RSL at six o'clock in the morning and go on, you know, on the Anzac Day march with him. Not the march in the city at 12 o'clock. I went to that one as well, but I was at the dawn service march at six o'clock in the morning, you know. Mm. And uh, he was a massive supporter of Labor. There was only Labor in our house. That's all you could talk about if you, you wouldn't mention the other mob. Yeah. And, uh, and he got to a point towards the end of his life where he could not vote for them anymore. And I was like, what are you talking about? You've inculcated this into me for my whole life. And he saw something before I saw it in 1998. And that was the Hanson outbreak. Because he saw something in the Labor movement, the Labor Party, that wasn't what it was purporting to still be at that point in time. And it had become a party of globalist understanding, globalist initiatives. And wouldn't it be wonderful? One world would be wonderful. We'd all walk off and sing and live in harmony, a la John Lennon's song, you know? Yeah. Um, Imagine. And he saw the 
the lie. That's what he saw. He saw the lie. And he saw the danger to working men and women. And now we're all seeing it, the danger to working men and women, the people that were allegedly being, you know, represented by that party, the people that became Howard's battlers. Yes. And so it doesn't surprise me anymore. It would have once upon a time, but it doesn't anymore. And you talked about the police commissioner too, Shane Patton. And he's just your classic bureaucrat too, who knows how to work through the system. He's a middle-aged white man himself, and all he can do is disparage middle-aged men. He'd stop short of calling them white, but he said all the protesters were just angry middle-aged men. As yes. if, well, why wouldn't they be angry middle-aged men? Just like all those diggers who went and fought weren't middle-aged men, but they were men because that's what men do in history. They stand up when they see injustice and they fight. Mm. And that's that's the role of masculinity in there. He is disparaging it whilst his police force are shooting at the protesters. Mm. But yeah. again, it's still propaganda. But then he went silent eventually because there was uh, was over half a million of us turning up week on week on week, and you couldn't say anymore. It was just middle-aged angry men. Although the movement half the time was led by middle-aged angry women, as a matter of fact. But don't let the truth get in the way yeah. of the propaganda. But eventually, it became impossible for him to keep that narrative up. So where is he now? Where's Shane now? We don't even hear from him at all. No, he's starting a new PR campaign to uh, get his warm and fuzzy with Vicpol again. Um, of course. I think a new campaign to uh, to get back community trust. So he's actually admitted, he's conceded that community trust was lost, which was what I was saying all the time. And I've often gotten up and said that. I said it at the shrine and made a speech at the shrine that I was trying to make that point to these masked officers staring at me with their batons and shields. And they would have been young enough, some of them, to be my children. And the same thing happened. We're in St Kilda and they arrested a guy for walking along the street without a mask when so many people didn't have a mask on at that particular point in time. They just arbitrarily picked this guy. And again, I asked them about what moral authority are they losing by enacting these, you know, unjust laws on, on the citizens of Melbourne, Victoria. People just going about their business. Yeah. Um, and, that's and in the end, they let that guy go. I mean, something I've, I've said in, in previous episodes of this podcast, I, I think that Vic, Vic Pohl has lost the social contract um, <laughs> that they've had with the state and, you know, with, with the population. I don't mean the state as in the government. I mean the state as in all the people inside it. I think that social contract has been well and truly trodden on. Uh, I For that to come back, it's going to be a lot of hard work. It won't start while they're still working. You know, I don't think it'll begin while they're still wearing dark blue uniforms and... Um, Neville Patton and Gat and I can't remember who the other guy Shane, is. Shane Patton. Yeah, um, as the Chief Commissioner and even the, the two people in Cornelius, the, Luke Cornelius. Yep. Um, and even going as far as the um, Police Association, um, those two head honchos of that, Gat and I can't remember who the other guy's name is, who's the, the Deputy Secretary or, or something like that, I think they need to go as well because – they should have stood up as well and at least even stood up for the members who are getting tapped on the shoulder and saying, well, you have to go now because you haven't uh, participated in this therapeutic trial. Uh, so it's, yeah. Well, the game is identity politics. Ultimately, the game is identity politics. Now there's this identity called, you know, anti-vaxxer. Yes, it is. But the, the, the identity politics is socialism, communism 101, you know, came yeah. up with the National Women's Day. The Soviet Union came up with International Women's Day. It's a divisive tactic designed exactly to divide the people, divide and conquer. And that's what they're all playing, all these bureaucrats are playing. And we see it again, you know, suddenly there's, you know, it's all about uh, diversity 
at the Pride March some months later and Dan Andrews is there with all and the police commissioners are all there and they're all unmasked and suddenly it's fine to be unmasked and walk along hand in hand on the streets with uh, diversity. Yes, because... The LGBTQI agenda. Yep. But Which is... To, it's insane. Yeah, and it's... It's evil and it's deadly and it's a lie and it needs to be called out and everyone's scared of calling it out because you can get it called all the pejoratives in the world, anti-vaxxer, racist, sexist, homophobe, whatever you want to be called. So no one says anything about it. But if you do call it out, there's a there's a there's a silent majority that are probably quietly very happy that someone's actually giving a voice. Yep. So now, something that you wanted that you mentioned earlier on, you're talking about the International Women's Day and about mm-hmm. calling things out. Um, can you define what a woman is? Well, you're not allowed to define what a woman is because you again you'll transgress some new work understanding of what a woman is. And that's it. Why does the Chief Health Officer, Brendan Murphy, need to take it on notice? Why does he need to take that question on notice to give an answer later on? I mean, why can't he just say, like, he would have gone through medical, I'm sure he, being a a medical doctor and and all that, would have gone through medical school, would have gone through biology, all that sort of stuff, and yet this is someone who is there pushing the therapeutics on everyone and yet still can't define a woman and yet... Supposedly, we have to follow what they say with their therapeutics. You can't define a woman on the, on the lines of the political understanding of what's happening in the culture, not biological. Oh. He can define it biologically. He knows he can, but he can't do it politically. He knows he's not allowed to because he does. There'll be someone else there to take his job. Yes. He'll lose his authority within the, within the institution and how much money is he getting paid again to be that bureaucrat? Was he on over $400,000 a year? Yes. Yeah, I had a really successful, at times, a very successful television career. People would have thought I was a very wealthy man. I was never earning anywhere near $400,000 a year, nowhere near it. Mate, you were on the wrong TV shows, that's why. Should have gone yeah, it should have been on American ones. Yes. yes. Exactly right. So they, But do you know what I mean? But yeah. a bureaucrat, yeah. he'll be earning or she will be earning that sort of money. So you can see, so what do you want to dance? So they're going to do the dance. What dance do you want me to do? And, of course, you never mention the fact that you're dancing. History's operated like this all along, hasn't it? You know, mm. I was talking to a friend the other day about the Bulgakov's uh, masterpiece, The Master and Margarita, which is has a look at this, uh, you know, in the literary scene in Stalin's Russia, and we come up with all the same things, you know the division of the society and the culture divided by those seeking power and political authority at the um, expense of truth, at the expense of truth. And eventually what price do you pay if this is allowed to just go on and on and on? And I think we all tolerated it for a long time and went, well, I don't really see that my culture as being as racist as it's meant to be. On one hand, it's the most racist place in the world, but, yeah, it's also the best multicultural society known in history. How can those two things yes. coexist? Yes, and, I mean, and we just didn't care. We went along with it. But eventually this corona narrative has just shown us how uh, vicious that the bureaucracy can become in pursuit of its own aims and it doesn't care for the culture, the greater culture at all. It will eat its own culture. And and that's it. It always eats its own. It, it always eats its own. But um, going back to the racism thing, I mean, there's a Victorian anti-racism task force, mm. and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm baffled that that's allowed. You know, as even tolerated. But then again, if you say anything about it, oh no, you're just promoting racism, and 
and you're promoting. And what does the Victorian Anti-Racism Task Force find? It's set up to find racism. Can you imagine them saying, well, look, we've done such a good job. This is going to be it. This is going to be our final year. Thanks very much, everybody. Played so well. We've done so well. No, they're just going to say, oh, my God, I cannot believe the incidence of racism we're finding within racism. Yep. We're just biased. I just have a bias because of the think oh, I think the way I do. Yet I walk around the streets and I see some instances of different races mixing with each other and good luck to them knock themselves out. But so often I see Indian families full of Indians, Anglo families full of Anglos, African families full of African, you know. But there's some natural inclination for people to be attracted towards their own as well. Are you allowed to say that? No. All you can celebrate is that, you know, uh, when this opposite race is involved. Yeah, and then the media just paints that picture all the time. But then truth happens somewhere else. Yep. I mean, that's that the problem. That goes or maybe they to talk about it. The problem is to even voice it. So everyone's scared of voicing it. So, you know, Brendan Murphy's never going to say anything about it no. because he's scared of the anti racism task force turning up on his doorstep. How embarrassing is that going to be for him? Yeah. How humiliating is that going to be for him? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it comes down to things. We know the media's not going to do it because they survive on keeping people scared and fearful of something because the more that they can put out the bad stuff in the world, the more people are going to watch it because for some daft reason, you know, the the global, like, like the collective is obsessed with fear. That's, you know, there's always one good news story and that's at the end on, on the media, on the TV news. I think it used to be. I'm not sure. I haven't watched mm. the 6 o'clock news for, for years now. So um, that's the way it always used to be. But um yeah, it, it's it's just one of those things. Now, I think just want to end that one there, but I want to talk to you about your um, candidacy for the Senate. Um, and something I, I did want to ask is that why did you choose to stand for the Senate? Um, I'll get on to independent or party um, a bit later is the second part of the question. But the first one is why for the Senate in the federal sphere as opposed to waiting till November for the state election and running for the upper house and that's sort of considering how um, inept or incompetent the Commonwealth has been with reigning in the, uh, the the premiers and chief ministers. So why go for a tilt at the Senate? Well, I think you just answered the current question in a way. Maybe it's because it's been so inept and incompetent in reigning in the states. Okay. So maybe that's what, it, you know... Yeah. Maybe that's a good point of why you would do it. I think also, too, because this is the first time the waves are really going to crash on the shore in some respects. We've seen some state elections, mm. uh, which have really uh, favoured incumbents in the Labor states, but it didn't favour um, Stephen Marshall in South Australia just recently, and Labor was uh, voted back into office after one small outlying Liberal government, and especially before that, been a sea of Labor governance. Was that, um, was so... That- was that yeah. more of an anti-COVID protest for South Oz or was it more of a um, pro-Labor? It didn't happen in Queensland, but we were at different stages of the cycle where people were more likely to believe the narrative and not question it at that particular point in time. Mm. Um, and did we move further in the cycle or is it about, and this is the one for the pundits and it's always really interesting, or is it something about a Liberal government acting like Labor light? Mm. As they always and not are. acting like a Liberal, exactly, and not acting like a Liberal government about freedom of thought and conscience and independence and small business, et cetera, those things are supposed to champion, which comes with some sort of risk. But health, big health always plays as a Labor strength. And that's what they pivoted towards, didn't they? They tried to introduce the same rules 
at, that all the lab states would have, were, were introducing, even though COVID was very, it didn't really play much of a role in South Australia. So is it because they didn't go hard enough in being a Liberal government? Because huh? you can't, the other side's never going to vote for you. You can chase them as much as you want, you know. Mm. And uh, that's why they got rid of Malcolm Turnbull in the end, isn't it? You know, yes. He's probably the best Labor Prime Minister that the Liberal Party has ever produced. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm still scratching my head about how he, how he got into Parliament in the first place. Um, well, I, know, I believe, and I don't know, I wasn't in the room, but I think Howard was really pivotal in that too and trying to get him to stay. You know? oh, mm-hmm. Really? Oh. Well, that's what I heard. That's yeah. How do I know? I wasn't there. You know, I don't, you know it's hard to know, but, yeah, yeah. but it would, wouldn't surprise me. I mean, yeah. Okay, so going back to, you know, me answering my own question about why you ran for the Senate. Um, yeah. Constitutionally, though, and, and this has been my big thing, is that constitutionally the, the Commonwealth doesn't have much authority to reign in the states um, because, you know, it, it's clearly defined what the Commonwealth can pass laws in and, and what areas, unless you're talking about that the Commonwealth should withhold money. Um, but then that's going to open up, you know, a whole new argument um, for, for taxation and everything like that. So, but yeah, it's, it's... Well, there's a lot of powers in the Constitution, actually, for the federal parliament. I don't know that I agree with everything that you're saying there. I'll take it on face value, but... Uh, and particularly, uh, it's got a, pr- a provision for uh, supplying pharmaceuticals, sickness and hospital benefits, medical and dental. I'm reading from it right now. Yeah. But so as to authorise any form of civil conscription... <laughs> And that was amended to the Australian Constitution in 1946. So obviously, after the horrors of those uh, of medical conscription being enforced on subhumans mm. throughout the Second World War, so that's Australia's response to it. They're federal, federally legislated powers. So I think it has got a real uh, opportunity to do things. You would think not. I'd understand why you think not because I don't think anyone really tried from the federal government. So was their polling telling them they were better to play? Um, you know, both sides of the fence. Mm. Let Labor take the hard decisions in the, you know, in the bigger states. Although, you know, that's not true of New South Wales, is it? No, and I mean, you know, I, un- yes, understanding that that it's civil conscription. Though, my understanding of it is that that's only if the federal government or the Commonwealth imposes that legislation. Whereas, with the states turning around saying, "Oh, it's public health," yes, that, that sort of negates that section. Um, and I mean, you know, this isn't meant to be a constitutional argument or anything like that. So no, the two hundred and fifty. So it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Biosecurity Act, yeah, of two thousand and fifteen, which is a federal act, I believe. Yes, and so the states can use that, and that's what it is. That's the tension that exists between those two things. Are they in contradiction of each other? So that's why you could take it to the High Court. That's where we'd have to go. Yep. Um, but, that's but then- the origin, because that's the origin of the legislation. It has to be heard in the High Court. Mm. So, and but I I didn't see the federal government really wanting to take that argument to the states at all, and they still don't. Uh, Morrison's still saying, "Well, I'm not going to get involved in what Daniel Andrews is doing now in Victoria, mandating a fourth jab for certain wolf workers." Mm. Which well, could there be some more muscular response from the federal government? And then we'd start to think, "Well, maybe the constitution is worth more if someone was arguing for it." I guess the danger is, what if you argued and you lost? Well, then where would we be? Well, let's find out. Yep. And, and there's another there's another part of the constitution which that states specifically that the federal government has power of quarantine. Yes. Specifically states here, section nine, fifty-one nine. I'm looking at it now. Quarantine. 
Well, that was never. What does that mean? But well, I, surely it can mean something okay. in this uh, current circumstance that we're in. I never heard it argued once from the, uh, you know, the conservative, allegedly conservative side of the house, which is the government. If, if you have a look at, at, so using Victoria as the example, they weren't quarantined. They were detained under public health legislation. Yes. So that gives the state the ability to do it, whereas quarantine only applies to coming into the country. Whereas once you're in, then you're the responsibility of the states. Okay. So then you'd have to go back to, like I say, the other one, 23A, mm. which is there's no civil conscription, but there was no argument no argument made for it. Yeah, I mean... You know, quarantine simply was quarantine because it's pretty... Uh, it's not specifically defined what those powers are. It just says nine is quarantine. Yeah. It but it's easier for the, the media to use quarantine because... We're used to that, whereas if the media turned around and actually said what it was, detention under public health legislation, then people would think, oh, my God, automatically, oh, no, I'm going to be locked up. And that's that's the, the, the bit where the, the complicit corporate press has got into it and helped the government narratives being pushed. Um, and, you know, it, it's something that, yes, you know, the words may mean the same thing, but it has two different responses. Whereas, um, you know, if you turn around and say, oh, I know you're being detained, and that's what the... Um, pandemic declarations and all that, say, the orders, it's detained under the, the public health legislation. Well, that's but it. We were all detained in Victoria. Yes, we all were. We but were detained for months and months. It was extraordinary. No one pushed back on it because... Well, this is, yes. It, it was for the thing. So, um, Is there no means to have pushed back on it? I believe there was means for someone to have pushed back on it. I don't take that, that there was no ability for that to occur. No, I, I still and agree. That's the demoralisation of the culture. Well, there's nothing we can do about it. Let's just, ah, uh, really? Okay. Well, I, I don't accept that because there's also who funded the whole thing. The federal government funded the whole thing. Mm. I mean, job keeper and job seeker and all the different benefits that were paid to um, uh, workforces to not turn up, you know, and uh, the private sector, et cetera. Um, it was funded by the federal government. Yes. At what point could they withhold any of that money or control how it was spent? Uh, that's the art of politics at the end of the day, isn't it? Yes, that's, and, and so capitulation. it comes back to a different argument. He said that if the Commonwealth hold, withholds money, then with Dan shutting down all these businesses, you know, who would be, yeah, it, it's, um, it, it is one of those areas where, well, I think the Commonwealth was hamstrung in not in, in having to provide that because the um you know it would have it was done for a public health measure as the narrative has always been we're closing down we're getting you to wear face diapers we're getting you to have all this to protect granny and yeah. and everything like that so if the commonwealth mm-hmm. had to turn around and said no we're not going to provide it well dan would have said well i'm still closing down the businesses and then the frustration at all these people who wouldn't have been getting benefits would have been directed at the commonwealth rather than at the state well, maybe, maybe, um, yeah, and maybe. I mean, it's the thing. So, and what were the inconsistencies where McDonald's kept going? Yes, yes. Uh, Bunnings kept going for the majority of it. Or yes. These, well, that that the, the virus didn't. No, that was okay. Couldn't yeah. talk about that. No. And I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, you have as a public health measure in the early days of it, the road toll was a greater risk to life and probably potentially still is than um, having this virus. Uh, yeah. Obesity is a greater risk to life than having this virus, and, and so that would be that would be a problem for McDonald's, surely. Yes, that'd be and, a real problem for them, wouldn't it? 
Absolutely. And it, it comes down to the thing is that, okay, McDonald's turned, you know, um, Professor Brett, when he had the powers, turns around and says, no, we're going to shut down McDonald's and Adrista. They'll turn around and say, all right, we'll just move out. Yeah. And then sure. there's the unemployment, which yes. will negatively impact with that. So, yeah, it's it was easy to target the gyms that were keeping people fit yes. and healthy. Yes. And or the food shops themselves. Yes. Um, I had a friend who was supplying. She had a business supplying to health food stores. And she wasn't shut down. So she couldn't claim any benefits for her business. But the stores she was selling to, they were shut down. They weren't allowed to operate. So, yep, yeah. just come along with that. And, and it's science. Home, just go through the drive-thru at McDonald's and get a couple of burgers and don't even question it. Don't question it. This is a virus. It's going to kill everyone. Yeah, except for the McDonald's. Yeah, don't, don't question it. Yep. I beg your pardon? Yeah. I'm an adult. I'm a mature man, responsible for three children, um, capable of asking a lot of questions and hearing some uncomfortable truths. And I think there's more uncomfortable truths to look at in the nature of how the pandemic was handled than the pandemic itself. Mm, absolutely. That's, that's the problem. Absolutely. So, and that problem still exists. As COVID disappears, that problem, that bureaucratic mess still is prevalent and it will rear its head again. This is going somewhere else. These people cannot stop because mm-hmm. you can't stop. You can't turn this off. It's like an addiction. Yep, yep. And it's an addiction to power. Okay, so do you hold any hopes for a, uh, let's say, okay, cast, um, the election's been called, we're coming to, um, let's say, August. So there's mm-hmm. the, the new people in the Senate have sat down and all that sort of stuff. We've got a whole heap of independence in the Senate. And the, the government of the day is made up of a minority government um, of one of the, the major parties and a whole lot of uh, other minor parties or independents that they form government. Do you hold any hopes for a royal commission? Yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you say a royal commission too, and do you hold any hopes that a royal commission would be set up to actually find anything anyway? Yes, and, and that was going to be the other question I asked. Would the, would the for, um, terms of reference be that narrow mm. that it couldn't look at it? And then or conversely... Would the Federal Royal Commission turn around and say, oh, well, no, that's a re- responsibility of the states, we can't look at it? Well, is it, is, would it you'd be better served to at least have people inside the parliament that were aware of that or cognizant of the fact that they were the problems that were confronting the culture, even if we did go to Royal Commission and were capable of trying to talk about it so at least you could come to some reckoning of it? Or would you be better served with just time servers that are going to stay inside the system and uh, uh, career politicians and aren't going to ask those questions because they don't want to rock the boat because they want to get a job at the UN after they finish their parliamentary career? And so who, who better place to find the truth to that? Because you can't say definitively, yes, I definitely will make sure, you know, and that's fine. You can do that rhetoric. Plenty of plenty are doing it. But I tell you what, you can ask the questions around it that make it very uncomfortable and maybe expose some truths that the system doesn't want to look at because then the system is going to be pointed out for the dysfunction that is clearly affecting it. Mm. Mm. So now... This is a nice segue into the next question I was going to ask. Why is an independent? Why not join one of the um, quote-unquote freedom-loving minor parties? Which one? We, we, yeah, we can go back to the independent parties. That's fine. Okay. No, not a problem, yeah. Um, so, but, um, so my view is is that party politics is what's ruining 
um, politics in this country and everything like that and the complicit corporate press is, is doing is assisting that by continually asking the two-party preferred um, for that and then who's your preferred Premier? I mean, the only people who get to vote for Dan Andrews as Premier are the people who live in the electorate of Mulgrave. Electorate of Mulgrave. Mm. I'm out mm. at, I'm not going to say where I am but I'm in a different part of Victoria. Yeah. I have yeah. not, you know, I don't vote for Dan Andrews. The member I vote for is not going to be Dan Andrews, um, so I can't vote for the Premier. So it, it's it's that. So that that's my view. I would have loved to have seen a house full of independents, which is it's a house of representatives, not the house of political parties. So mm-hmm. um, that's my position. But I just want to ask you why you ran for an independent, not joining one of the other, you know, cat, um, Well, just why you said that too. We went out to fires and we did a pop-up protest uh, when I was working with Michael Gray Griffiths on um, – uh, Cafe Lockdown, which is fantastic. We really gave a voice to the people and it uh, became a really huge uh, streaming service. Mm. And we went out to Pfizer, which is near Daniel uh, Andrews Electorate in Mulgrave, and uh, did a pop-up protest there. And then we thought, well, since we're here, let's pop into Dan's office. We'll pop around there. Of course, there was no one there. And uh, surprise, there was surprise. a number. We rang up the office out the front There was an, and they gave us a number to ring because... Uh, the, his constituents' concerns are really important to him. And we rang the number several times on different phones just to make sure, and it went to nothing. Still just rhetoric. doesn't exist. And these people are being paid what? How much money? Yeah. I couldn't talk to a representative of the Premier as uh, just a, as a resident of Mulgrave might want to do because there's nothing to get through to. But all the rhetoric was there. We understand this is a that this holidays, and but your concerns are still really important to us. Here's a special number to ring because the office is closed. Goes through to nothing, yeah, which does ask there's the question. Your, there's your representative democracy right there. Yep. So who do they represent? So you would join that party, would you? Look what's happened to the front of the Indian woman whose name I won't try and Kushwala. I don't know. I can't. Yep. I'm going to pronounce the name properly. Clearly, she's been totally ostracised. Yes. Jane Garrett, the same thing happened to Jane Garrett when she stood up to Daniel Andrews when it was the uh, uh, the fiery oh, yep. dispute. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And she lost. She was uh, going to be uh, an up-and-coming star of the Labor movement. Uh, and I was saying Liberals don't do it. They just don't do it quite as much as, as Labor. And maybe that's why they're in opposition most of the time, particularly in Victoria or South Australia, you know, because their party machine doesn't operate anywhere near as well. But then the Liberal the Party seems Premier to allow Daniel Andrews, um, Dennis Napthine. Yep. I mean, can you believe that he was the Premier compared to where we are now? He was like a curmudgeonly old fellow, you know, uncle from Warrnambool, uh, a practising vet. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Andrews is just a total machine man of the Labor movement, Marxist. Yeah. So, I mean... Uh, have you been following what Adam Somurek has since he um, came back for to shut down the, the the first proposition of the pandemic bill? Some of his stuff on Twitter, it's just like, mate, there is no love lost there, and and I no. really want to buy his book as soon as it comes out, man. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that is going to be a book to read. Well, he's a power rival, wasn't he? Like yes. somewhere it came with a power base. He had his own power base, which was a threat clearly to Daniel Andrews' power base, and that's still playing out to some extent. I guess Somerick's trying to redeem himself because 
the branch stacking, et cetera, that he was certainly part of. And I'd imagine source Daniel would be part of as well, Daniel yeah. Andrews, because you wouldn't be in the machine if you weren't. Yeah. You couldn't be there. And there is some political realities to that. So there you go. There's the answer why you wouldn't run. And why would you run for the minor parties? Who would you run for? The Liberal Democrats are going to call themselves that anymore. What are they? The Liberty and Democracy Party. What, and they, and they, they, I've had a look on their website and they, they're saying that they are between Liberal and Labor. Yeah. And I cracked a joke to someone who's running for them. I probably shouldn't have said, geez, there's not much daylight in there. How do you reckon they're going to squeeze in? He's like, oh, come on, that's not right. They're, you know, they're actually very progressive but conservative. Uh, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you end up playing this game, trying to find the Overton window. Where is it? How can you sit in the middle? But what's the game? What's the game? Yeah. And, and as an individual, you don't have to play that game. You don't get the support of the party structure, of course. You don't get the nice brochures, et cetera. And it's a lot harder for you to get a stack of media advisors, you know. And it's harder for you to get on the ballot too. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and you know they're so concerned. So concerned. The Australian Electoral Commission is so concerned to be upright and to be seen doing the right thing. Except I write, I write the wrong policy on Facebook, and they threaten to shut me down. Mm. So they're destroying democracy, but they're pretending the onus is on me to make sure I cross all the T's and dot all the I's. What a farce! We're moving into another realm. We're moving into another era in history. There can be no doubt about that. Yet we're still expected to play the old games in some respects, but the oligarchs aren't expected to play those games. Because has history been ever thus? I guess it has, and it's been full of people like me, I guess, somewhere along the line who want to stand up and say, no, that's enough. It's a, the centralisation of power. That's That's what I'm seeing is that... They're fortifying their position um, with with things. I mean, they came after Andrew Bogart with his um, podcast, uh, and they yeah. said, "No, it's deemed to be electoral inf- uh, political information, so you have to have the disclaimer and authorised by." Well, really, when did one person talking on a podcast become that? Um, when they became so famous and successful that people were really interested in what they had to say. I spoke to Andrew actually about these very things on our podcast, which is uh, Against the Grain. I had a really long chat with him. If people want to find it, uh, Against the Grain Media, they can go there and find it or get on my web pages and there's links to it. Um, yeah, and Andrew was a really interesting person to talk to. Yeah, and he's independently wealthy, so he's capable of standing up to them. Yeah, all forced to all forced to his hand. Being in that position, he's uh, probably be a lot harder to be cancelled as well if he doesn't rely on funding from from somewhere else. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. But truth is an amazing force for good, and it's an amazing weapon, as we've seen in history so many times. <laughs> and uh, you know, as it's difficult for any one person to pretend that they're the repository of all truth, you couldn't. But there is a truth that is not allowed to be talked about within the community, and that's been the case for a long period of time because of uh, political correctness mm. and identity politics that's being played. That's the power source. Okay. So now speaking about that, power sources and truths that can't be mentioned, your thoughts on World Economic, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, The Great Reset, uh, and mm. the young global leaders um, mm. who mm. seem to be popping up everywhere. Yeah, they're um, everywhere, just Cinder Dern and... Trudeau, and I believe Grace Thames has yes. been courted by them now apparently. So, yeah. And she's yeah. removed the listing or the listing has been removed. She was up there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think after one of the big blowouts in the media, that listing has been taken down. Uh, I'm not sure whether that's at her initiative or their initiative. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the person that uh, Albanese parachuted into Parramatta, um, his name escapes me at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. He's one of the young global leaders as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if, if Klaus is able to get up on stage and be proud about infiltrating the Canadian cabinet with Trudeau and, and other cabinet members, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what's that say for, let's say, eventually or, you know, if that, that bad wind flows, that there is an Albanese-led government. Um, mm-hmm. Sarah Hansen-Young, proud to say she's a young global leader and she's a leader of the Greens. Yep. So if there's the, the coalition which is going to be between, it, it, you know, in the unlikely event which... I hope doesn't happen that it is an, an ALP government. They'll, they won't be able to form one in their own right. It'll be a minority government with the Greens. Now, didn't work so well last time. Oh, yeah, it didn't. And I think coming, you know, touching on education, which I want to talk about later, I don't think mm. that there's enough people that will remember that or, or will pay attention to it um, because it was different. Different politicians and different. Well, you can't control it as an individual. You go in and you vote for who you're going to vote, and you can't know exactly what the whole population is going to do. Even if you try and second guess it, you can't possibly know what the outcome is going to be. Mm. That's what I'd say too about ending up on the shrine you're talking about before. It's not possible. I think that the police literally decided that's what they were going to do from the outset of the day or anything because they couldn't have known um, how uh, the situation was going to turn out. Yeah, I I think that's what worries me about the Great Reset too and stuff. Like. You know, and I'm not saying there's not some design to do those things. It's clearly there, but these are, how clever are these people? And I'm saying they might be trying to do things, but they can't know the outcome. But they can demoralise us to a point where we think we have no control over our own lives and so we don't even try, so we acquiesce. And you see a lot of that, don't you, with the mask wearing, et cetera, what's going on in the pandemic. People just go along, get along. Mm. If there's leadership outside of that that can take them somewhere else, well, that might be a fine thing for gaining our independence and our liberty again as individuals but also as a nation. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, with going back to that, that Shrine comment, I don't, I hope that they don't, that that wasn't their plan, but my thoughts were that was an easy place for them to be, for, for the for police to marshal people. Like it was a big open space, it, you know, no, they could People were looking the at the city and we were cruising down. I remember we were walking down uh, uh, Swanson Street heading onto St Kilda Road thinking, well, how far are we going? Are we going to walk to St Kilda? <laughs> walk <laughs> off the pier? I mean, really. So in the end, that was the that was a redoubt. There you go. There's a military word. We recreated a redoubt <laughs> on the shrine itself, you know. The shrine which is built in mem- remembrance of what those men fought for and apparently I was taught they fought for our liberty and our freedoms now it's a place of commemoration of that, not a place to enact that fight again. Well, I tell you what, I know what my grandfather would have said to me if he had to choose between the two, and he was one that loved to commemorate those men that he grew great bonds with from having fought with and lost people, including his own brother. But was the commemoration more important to him or the fight itself for the liberty? That continues to this day. That yeah. they, they, they want us to believe, no, it was fought for and now it's over. You don't have to fight anymore. And so anything you do from this point on, particularly if it's done somewhere near a shrine, as if that was any idea that anyone had, there's some leader in the, you know, the resistance movement, let's let's get to the shrine yeah. without any weapons and the police force are armed to the teeth with horses and shields and rubber bullets. Mm. It's just perverse. Yeah. And we're the neo-fascists. We're painted as fascists. It's an absurdity. It is. And just talking about the rubber bullets again, the 
fascinating thing about that that I found so ironic it wasn't funny. Uh, rubber bullet um, has a three percent fatality rate. Yet, yes. To point the this virus has had, um, depending on who you talk to, a, a one or less than one percent fatality rate. So and that was my. I was saying that on the day. I was saying that was a joke. I was cracking to the people on the day when I was making the speeches back to people standing on those steps. We had a good laugh at that. Yeah, exactly. It, it's just exactly like you know. Anyway, um, got a lot of views on that, but I, I won't get in there with that one. Um, do you want to talk about education? Because I know that's that's one of your um, the the top policy, let's say, policy platforms that you've got. Um, well, I just know I've got three children and they, they get indoctrinated and these people are clever because you think, oh, you know, well, uh, well, let's get to the kids and give them an education so they can make their own choices around these things. And you realise, oh, hang on, the education system has been skewed towards this for how long? Since I've been alive, I'd imagine, 50 years they've been teaching children to think about in uh, a woke concept of the world. Mm. And so they're indoctrinated to it. They're indoctrinated to the ideals of globalism, a borderless society, et cetera. And that's ultimately why these people, it's just just the perversity on perversity of trying to pretend that they care about the shrine. They don't care less about the shrine. They hate Anzac Day. Yeah. yeah. Alan, having to study Alan Seymour's One Day of the Year, which was just a critique of Anzac Day, a play written, you know, I don't know, it was written in the 60s or when it was, you know. And you had to study it at school even when I was still there and it's been reprinted that many times because it's been on the school curriculum and it disparages Anzac Day and that's the purpose. That's what they want to do. That's why you can't go to Anzac Day in, in 2020 because it's too dangerous because of the virus, but you can go to a football match around the corner that's appropriating the Anzac legend and stand there, you know, five deep yeah, that, in a football game and the virus is okay suddenly. That was something that always got my goat up um, that, yeah, the Anzac Day game. And it's just like, really? Well, Anzac Day becomes a symbol, doesn't it, for national identity mm. and an old national identity too, which is a white Anglo national identity. Well, that's the last thing globalists want. Yeah. But, but a lot of people that are here that have come from foreign countries to come here because they actually want what that stands for, what it symbolises, the independence and freedom that they came here for, even as, uh, you know, as economic migrants, if nothing else, for the opportunity that was presented here. And we can see how that's so easily taken away. It was taken away by the globalists throughout the pandemic. Mm. The corporations were allowed to keep functioning, but the small to medium enterprises, no, I'm sorry, you can't. And there's nowhere for you to even voice any complaint to it. Otherwise, you want to kill your grandmother. How disgusting are you? I beg your pardon? Yeah, and, and so with that, my thoughts are that it, it's slowly part of a plan because, you know, uh, the, the Great Reset, yes, whether it's part of an agenda, they don't know where it's going to end up, but they can put the, the framework in to mm-hmm. to hopefully get there. Uh, my thoughts are, you know, the Reserve Bank is talking about a digital dollar. Um, yes, it is. Yes, indeed it, it is. It was um, a big thing by uh, FPOS's that was supposed to be rolled out, I think, December of 2020 about EFPOS where he just scanned a QR code um, that was supposed to be rolled out then. And, you know, the, the, the governments have got us into the muscle memory of QR coding into places. So we yeah. know we have to QR code in. Um, cash is I bad. Don't. I don't. Well, I know Aussies that don't. Yep. Yeah, um, so do I. 
um, yep. and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, it, all the strength to their hand. Yeah. When the law becomes tyranny, you know, rebellion comes duty. Was it Benjamin Franklin? I think so. Something yes. Like yeah. yeah. Um, but so I mean, and this is the, it's it's setting those the, the compliant ones up to follow mm. that, so it's easy to get the compliant ones. So you know, we know cash is bad. Uh, I remember way back when. The well, they'll destroy cash anyway. They'll destroy cash because inflation is going to destroy cash because yes. it'll be worthless like it was in Weimar, Germany. Yep. Um, they just keep printing as much of as they want. What a criminal act to just keep printing as much money as you want, destroy people's livelihoods, destroy, destroy their savings. And, yep, and that's, what's, criminal act. that's what's going to happen. And I mean, this is all the thing to bring in the digital dollar, which it, when you have a look at it, it's not a digital dollar. It's a, it's a token, um, um, a voucher system. Because yeah, was it the Australian, the Reserve Bank did that with, uh, I think there's a four four countries, Australia's one of them and Thailand maybe, Singapore, there's somewhere else too, yeah. 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 Um, so it can be programmable. So your employer can decide where you spend your money so they could turn around yeah. and say, well, no, you're only going to buy my products, you can't go and buy a competitor's product um, and, and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, this is all coming in with the, the, the social credit, the great reset, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, and um, for our social benefit because ultimately it will protect the planet and the environment and all these things that will say to us and everyone will rush to their own demise and go, oh, well, that's a good thing. How could you argue with that? That's terrible. Bushfires are terrible, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, I mean, we've seen, I mean, uh, you said you're not on Twitter but um, Adam Bant, Every time something happens, oh, it's global warming and this is yeah. climate change and, and we've got to stop this. Well, but that's all he's got rhetoric. He can't yes. talk in depth and there's no ability to talk in any depth or any nuance or any subtlety because it's an impossibility yeah. because you're just talking in slogans. But I think the Australian people and I hope the Australian people are sick of that. And that's why I'm running for the Senate because that. And so, okay, your thoughts on nuclear? Uh, well, that's, see, I'm an individual running. Uh, as an individual, I can't have a policy platform on everything. It's impossible because I don't have a team behind mm. me. Having every, but having said that, well, then if 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 you take it on face value that the climate is being destroyed by fossil fuels, and you also want Australia to be a prosperous, strong nation, and you also want mums and dads and childrens and pensioners to have cheap electricity so they can turn it on and keep themselves warm. In, in, in winter and, and cool in summer, then why wouldn't you look at nuclear? Why would you celebrate Gay Paris and France as the sort of place they would like to go and, um, you know, the French Riviera and have a holiday? And they use like over 70% of their energy has been generated from nuclear technology and for many decades. And that's okay, but it's not okay in Australia. But it's fine for us to sell it. But God forbid that you'd ever have your own nuclear submarine. And what are the spin-offs of that industry too, which I'd like to know because I know there's so much of it used. And we've got a small reactor, which we've had for many years too, in Lucas Heights yep. in Craig Kelly's electorate. Yeah. Right. And that's been running fine. There's never been a problem there. And it delivers so many spin-offs with isotopes that they use in uh, medical engineering. Now, I don't know all of it. I don't even pretend to, but I'm happy again to find out people that do know about it and invest them with the ability to make those decisions on behalf of the culture. So we do have uh, smart technology mm. and we are taking care of those people that have worked all their lives and now want to be able to turn a heater or an air conditioner on. Well, that's where, we're, why should we be going? We should live back in the cave. Where, where are we going to go instead? What, because the, the wind farms are going to be enough, are they? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and if they people show me, look, mate, these wind farms are gent. Look at them pumping out this stuff. You're going to be fine. Well, I'll go. Okay, cool. But, but that's not what I'm seeing. That's not what I'm hearing. Dan wants to invest. I uh, can't remember how many billions of dollars into a um, uh, a tidal. It's not tidal. It's it's like a wind farm out in the out in the you know umpteen miles off the coasts. Um, that's what he, he wants to do, coastal wind farms. Um, well, maybe that would have saved it. Sorry, but I'm just thinking that Marshall government, maybe if they had a, had some political courage and just really talked about it instead of just setting up another inquiry into, well, why nuclear might, you know, we'll just stave it off with an inquiry, even though we had one five years ago, how nuclear might work. Well, he's got – well, the uranium deposits in South Australia are just huge. might have mm. been great for that economy to be able to talk about. You know, and there would have been a fear campaign from the other side. Well, that's – you know, I, Howard took it on in some respects with the GST, yeah. but there's no political courage anymore. It's just playing an election cycle instead. I know I've cut you off. I know you wanted to talk about Daniel Andrews' wind farms, but no, it just stopped me when you were talking about that, you know, energy generation. No, I was just going to say is that, you know, he's, he's got this wind farm coming out, but then by the same token uh, he's also helping or assisting the Greens by demonising gas. So it's going to come a point in time where we're going to have electricity for everything because I think, mm-hmm. you know, if he wins another term, there's going to be changes to building codes where new houses can't have gas um, appliances, so it's all going to have to be electric. If we're relying on renewables, then they're fairly inconsistent. They can't be um, uh, scaled if demand increases and everything like that. So, you know, it, it for, for me... I think it's a no-brainer that, you know, the states need to have a fight with the Commonwealth and say, well, no, we're going to bring in nuclear. Start building it and then have, uh, you know, I've said that in different podcasts. I think start building it, you know, it'll probably take maybe 10 years to get a reactor online, but in those 10 years, have a fight. Take it to the courts. Um, You were talking about uh, different things going through the High Court. Well, I honestly don't believe that the Commonwealth has power to pass legislation banning nuclear in the states because it's not mentioned in the Constitution. Nothing about energy is mentioned in that, so therefore the Commonwealth can't do it. If they go down the external affairs provision, which is what they used to stop the damming of the Franklin River, then the alternative question needs to be asked is, does the Commonwealth have the authority to sign up to those things in the first place? Um, And, you know, I've equated it to, you know, being parents. Like if I sign my son up to football and he doesn't want to play football, he wants to play basketball. Well, I've signed him up for it. Is he going to do it? Well, no, he's going to have a fight with me because I, you know, that's not what he wanted to do. I didn't have authority to sign him up to it in the first place. So, uh, I, I, you know, I think if there's politicians or parties or governments that have the intestinal fortitude to have fights, I think that there needs to be a lot to to clarify uh, a whole lot of stuff with the Constitution. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, that the Constitution has let us down over the last two years. Um, not a prior to uh, the, the pandemic, I would have been a, a devout monarchist. Uh, since then, I'm not turning to republic, but I think the republic model has got so many holes in it. It's not funny, and it just centralizes power with the elites. It doesn't help uh, the the forgotten person, uh, the forgotten voter, the forgotten worker, or anything like that. It does nothing to help that. So I'm, I'm not going to support the IRM model, the um, People's Choice or Director, whatever they want to call it. But I think that needs to be some clarifications on what we've got at the moment to see how it works to bring to continue the country into you know this this century and, and forward and you know make it something where where people are proud of it and they're happy to stay here and people do want to come out here. 
Well, it's like another debate needs to be had, isn't there? Yes. There's a debate that everyone's too scared to have because the globalists have sort of got us in a state of fear. No one can talk about it, and there's the spectre of China looming over it all too. But, yeah, we almost need to discuss again the understanding of the Federation of Australia. It is. And, and I mean... And we over-governed. We've got three tiers of government. Oh, three tiers of government. Totally. Really? Totally agree we're over-governed. Um, I, mm. I don't think the... Um, Local government is constitutional because it's controlled by the states. Uh, you know, where I am in the Whittlesea area, um, Dan decided last year that he's just going to appoint uh, administrators to look after it. So I don't even have a government in this area. Mm. And yet no one's upset about that. They're just, yep, okay, that's fine. Mm. That's uh, fine. Mm. We've seen what happened with the government in Dandenong with the iCook saga, uh, local government, uh, mm. with all of that. And then the... Um, complicitness with the state health department so it's yeah i think we're way i don't know when you're gonna put this i don't know when you're gonna put this podcast up cameron but you're talking to you before about wind farms and dan doing i know he's instituting a lot of that stuff in uh in gippsland Mm. so we're claiming a lot of land in gippsland for that and we're going down to gippsland this week so we'll be there if there's people want to come and express their concerns and give tell me because those people that live there know much better than I do and I can pretend, but I don't actually understand all the issues that confront them. So we're going to Gippsland on Friday. Uh, we'll be there at Rosedale at 1 o'clock for a meet and greet with people this Friday and we're going to some other places as well. If you want to get onto my Facebook page, you can see the itinerary we've got. But, yeah, we'll be at 1 o'clock uh, at 4.51 Willung Road Rosedale this um, Friday. So if people have genuine concerns that they want to come and express and and, and hopefully ultimately get heard in the Senate, then, yeah, we're, we're coming to do a regional tour starting in Gippsland this Friday. Yeah. Well, you've so. put me under pressure now. I was hoping to put this up on Saturday. Um, but that's all right. <laughs> Are you going to be there over the weekend as well? Yes, we will. But we're cruising. There's a little itinerary um, that... Uh, we've got, which will be there over the weekend. We're, we're travelling around. I think we're going to go to Shepparton as well and perhaps Albury Wodonga, but we'll, that will go up on our website. If it hasn't already, it will have to soon because I've just spruiked it. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> yeah. And then we're going on a bigger one as well uh, to just, yeah, talk to the regions because a lot of regional people too uh, feel like they're not being heard or no one really cares about what they think. So Yeah, I, I think that's everywhere. There's that divide where, I mean, because I, I lived in Queensland for a couple of years before I um, came down here in 2019, I uh, came back and, yeah, th- th- it seems to be everywhere that there's a divide between the city and the regional where the, um, you know, the votes that get the government of the day into power are metro or outer metro areas mm. and regional is just an afterthought because they've got a couple of token people out there or you might have a couple of politicians that... that make some noise but yeah it's all forgotten about yeah. um i mean even even in the commonwealth sphere as well it's just that you know you, you get your your senators that just focus on uh the the metropolitan areas because that's where the majority of the votes are um and and forget about it. so good on you for for going out that way uh i will as i said i'll, I'll get this up saturday morning but i will post a little um edit for that bit where you talked about friday i'll, I'll get that out Okay, so you're talking, thanks, mate. Because well, you're talking too about education and it probably being a state issue, and that may well be the case, but it's been nationalised. There's a national curriculum 
And it's funded, of course, through the Commonwealth. There's yeah. a NAP plan and we're all meant to be on the same page. And, and I would I would prefer that it was more a state-based issue, that schools were things that were uh, done independent of uh, bureaucratic overstructure and understanding of how the um, curriculum has to be set mm. at a national level. And I mean, I, I mean it'd be better I, if it was more of a micro level that the, the, the power was given back to the parents. Yep, totally agree. Um, and there's so many people now taking their children out of the system too, particularly since this pandemic. There's so many people that I've talked to anyway, so they're seriously homeschooling their children, which is something I would have just thought was impossible to even do. But it's not. I know people, I've met them, they've homeschooled their children, their children are doing fine. Yeah. and Away from the brain rushing of the corporate state understanding. It is, it is. And with that, um, so, you know, with that, I mean, with me, it's the, the concern is the funding. I mean, my taxes are going to fund the system. I don't want the system funded anymore because mm. I've seen over the last two years how broken the system is. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'd love someone to turn around and say, no, it, it's funding. Can you be a senator inside the system representing the people that want to devolve from the system? <laughs> I, I don't see <laughs> why not. interesting tension. Yes, I don't see why not either, to be honest. No, not at all. I don't see no. why not. I mean, you're right. representing the people who put you in, and if that's what well, they Well, we've got want. Nigel Farage as an example, hasn't he? He went to the EU to say, I want to get out of the EU. It's the only thing he ever won. He didn't win any seats actually at a national level. He only won at an EU level, and 20 years later he was successful in yeah. doing himself out of a job. Yeah. Um, and been, and that's, I think that's, that's what we need. Um, and, you know, no offence to you or anything like that, but I think we need politicians to go into parliament to put themselves out of a job. Because well, that's exactly well, uh, Yes. The, the more that this stuff is... Quite is, comfortable being that person. Yeah, the, the more stuff it's, it's managed at the local level, then I, I think that the, the smoother the country will run, there's going to be less reliance on government handouts because the mm. community will respond mm. uh, and things like that. It's so, time for some moral courage, isn't there? Isn't absolutely. It's time for some moral courage. Absolutely. Um, now, being mindful of time, uh, is there? I'll, I'll wrap up just about now. Um, wanted yeah, to give you the opportunity. Is there any soapbox issues that you wanted to talk about, or um, you know, have a discussion I think about? We've and- canvassed the issues really well. well. I think we've canvassed the issues, mm. and uh, I'll continue to develop our platforms. Um, we're on a. We've got a. Uh, a website at www.damienrichardson.com.au, which we're trying to make the focus of the campaign because we've already been threatened on Facebook that they will shut us down um, for making uh, any uh, criticism of uh, the system in some respects. And you don't even know what that's going to be. It'll be something innocuous. We're being uh, uh, well-intentioned in what we're saying as in we're actually arguing for something and we're genuine in what we're talking about, but even that's not enough. And you're meant to be protected once it's uh, accepted as being part of a political platform that's supposed to protect you more. Well, I never had any warnings when I was not a political platform, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, now suddenly I am one. I wonder if that's actually uh, an inversion of reality as well as so much of what we're seeing today is an inversion of reality. So that's what if you if you like this this is a conversation that will keep going on. I don't have all the answers, but I'm really happy to ask the questions, the uncomfortable questions of the people that should have the answers yep. as we keep you know moving forward to freedom, yep. not backwards, but forward to freedom. So now 
One final question. I, I talk about uncomfortable questions and everything like that. Mm. Um, maybe un- uncomfortable for you, happy for you to say you don't know and you'll take it under advisement and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, sorry, that was more of a laugh about Brendan Murphy saying that. Um, we've seen what's happening overseas with the Australian government giving bucket loads of lethal technology to a sovereign country. Now, um, with that, this is also the same government that says its own citizens can't have that. So what's your thoughts on the, uh, the um, Howard's National Firearms Agreement? What's, are you talking about the Bushmasters that we've sold? Is that right? Or yeah, given to we've, Ukraine? we've done that and we've sent over, yeah. um, I think, small arms. Look out, those Russians, the Bushmasters are coming. Hey, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's the thing is that I haven't seen any of the, the supposed freedom-loving minor parties touch that issue. And I've asked it on Twitter mm. a number of times. Mm. None of them are going to come back and say what they want to do about civilian firearm ownership. Um Understanding I mean, it's a state like issue. A second amendment. Are you talking like a Second Amendment style thing? Um, I, I think we've got it. We've already got it in the Magna Carta. Um, so we okay, don't so you need go back it. to use the Magna Carta. Okay. Yeah, okay. So yeah, we, yeah. we don't need it. All we need to do is um, hone it down because the, the Magna Carta says, yeah, we can own it as long as it's not prohibited by law. But get rid of mm-hmm. that bit. Um, now, I'm not saying that we go out and buy tanks and understanding this is a state issue. It's not mm. a federal issue and you're running for the federal. So I, I completely understand that. The um, But when you talk to people, it's about, oh, my God, you want to whittle down Australia's gun laws. Well, Australia doesn't have any gun laws. Mm. It's the National Firearms Agreement. Well, that was an agreement. You can choose to follow it or not, um, same as what has, has, has happened in National Cabinet. Um, is now by the same well, there's token... There's a sanctimony, isn't there? There's a sanctimony of people like Morrison... Uh, lecturing uh, Putin on democracy, uh, and and I think that doesn't get lost on most people. But you've just entered into such a realm of absurdity that where where do you even begin to draw the distinctions? Yeah, it's very difficult to do. That's and that's not answering the gun ownership question. There's something that's been really interesting to me, and I started on the podcast with Michael Gray Griffiths. I was saying on uh, Cafe Lockdown, and I would simply talk about. The Second Amendment, as the Americans were basically, the idea always was for them to, not to protect themselves from each other. And now, of course, this, uh, uh, the media is always focusing on school shootings, the tragedy that is any uh, uh, shooting death in that country, which has uh, certainly more gun-toting than ours it is. But the reality was always to protect itself from the government. Mm. And that's how that country was came into existence too, remembering, because they had a war of independence against the British, something we never did too. So it really had a sense of what that purpose was for that culture, totally different than our experience. But you couldn't even mention that and get any reasonable ability, again, to have a conversation around why that may be the case. And I think that's changed a lot. I think there's a lot of people now that are capable of going, oh, hang on. Oh, there was some etern- other a different eternal truth than what one we've been given as the prison to look at the right to bear arms in. Yes. And so and, and that is interesting as well. So there's a shifting again to the Overton window. And what does that mean in the end? It means the state has to come down even harder with the right to bear arms and shoot at the citizenry, protesting for their freedom of expression and movement with rubber bullets. That's okay, is it? Yeah, 
and that's okay. That's cool. <laughs> and the irony of that is, you know, with the, the one of the the most defining, supposedly one of the most defining moments in our democracy was Ballarat, and that's mm. when the constabulary <laughs> opened fire on yeah. citizens. Yeah, and yet, you know, that was a, a, a moment that changed. I think the, the the course of politics in and you know. Well, it always does, and they say no, no, no violence, no, 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 no violence. No one's impressed those protest movements. No, 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 no violence is terrible. No, violence is terrible. And and, and Stan Grant kicks the kid off of, uh, you know, Q and A, who's saying, well, hang on, I want to give the Russian point of view as far as the Ukrainian conflict is concerned, and I don't have a view on it because I don't understand it. I don't understand the depth of the, that world well enough to even begin to know exactly what. But I certainly don't trust the mainstream narrative on it, that's mm. for sure. Mm. And Stephen Grant says, no, you're advocating violence for your opinion, which was not a violent opinion, therefore you have to leave my studio. Yeah. And if you didn't leave, if the, if the kid had said, you know, no, I'm not leaving, mate, I'm staying here, I bought, bought my ticket or whatever he had to do and his studio audience, I'm sitting here. What Would they had him removed violently? And, yes. Would it still been violence? And that's the well, irony. Is that not violence? Because it's the good violence. It's only the violence. I mean, please, please cut the sanctimony. Cut the sanctimony. Yep. Yep. Totally. Totally. Yep. Understand and totally agree with that. I mean, and, and that's the thing is that you know, like Supreme Leader Andrews or Dan Andrews, Stemman, whatever you want to call him, you know, he he turns around and, and says that. Yet he's relying on people with guns to commit violence to protect him. Yet. Yeah. By the same token, we can't do the same thing, um, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, and once upon a time, most Australians have said that was very reasonable, and they may most may still say that. But there's a there's a larger coal growing now to this. Oh, okay. There's a there's a bigger there's a more complex picture than the one that's been presented to me as part of the mainstream narrative. Absolutely, and I think the the last two years in Victoria have opened their eyes up. Um, especially to have special operations group out running around in their bear cats about and, you know, jumping on people because they're wearing high vis. And it's just like they don't do that to motorbike groups and yet they were doing that to tradies and people wearing high vis, whether they're tradies or not, just profiling them and jumping on them and... Oh, absolutely. And I remember that footage of that guy in Swanson Street being kneed in the back by the, you know, special operations group, police officers and... uh, butted with the back of a rifle and the Asian student with the mask on just sort of squeezing through. She just walked around, excuse me, I'm going to my class. I was yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. Extraordinary. Um, so, yeah. Um, anyway, thank you for that, Damien. Um, I think we'll just wrap it up there. Otherwise, we'll just all end up on different tangents and, and get on to different soapbox issues and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Um, yep. Thank you for your time today. And I, I do want to say that um, thank you for everything that you've done and I do wish you all the best with what's going on. Um, you do have my vote and Thanks, uh, for that and, um, you know, I, I didn't want this to be a puff piece where I'm just blowing wind. No, you didn't. You, you held me to account. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, and all Thanks, that sort man. of stuff. Um, so, yeah, um, all the best. And um, if you've got time in the travels between now and then or even once you be, do, do become a centre of Victoria, I'd love to have you back and um, see what the billabong is like from an insider's perspective. <laughs> from the inside. Yeah, from the inside. I'm swimming in it. Um, what stench? I'll be saying, what stench? It's fine. Come <laughs> in. The water's fine. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, but on that note, um, I think, 
Yeah, you've got my vote for the Senate. If Cleaver Green had a run, I think it would have been a, a toss-up between you and Cleaver Green. <laughs> um, I never watched but, it. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Thankfully, yeah, thankfully he didn't run. Um, no. So you've got my vote. Um, as I've said, good luck for it all. Um, and, yeah, if there's anything that I can do or, or people, that, the two or three listeners, I know I've got a couple of haters who um, listen to this podcast all the time Oops. and bag me yeah. about it. So if there's anything even the haters can do to, to help your campaign, and on anything like that, please let me know, even after this. Um, as yeah, I said, so as long as you can maintain the uh, pretense of impartiality, if there's anything you can do to support and get people to vote for me, mate, I'd be eternally grateful. Isn't oh, always going to be impartial. Um, yes, I've got my views and I'll, I'll make that clear from the start and, and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, it, it's the thing. You don't have an arm's length list of policies, um, which I think is good. Uh, mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff because, as you've said, there's some things that you don't know about and, and all that sort of stuff. So um, I know you said it before but do you want to let people know where they can find you on social media before we before we end this? Yes, we've got, so we've got a um, www.damienrichardson.com.au which is our website which is going to be our fundamental uh, means of delivering the message. So you can always come to that. We've, I've got um, a Facebook page though as well which is Damien Richardson for the Senate at Damien Richardson for the Senate on the Facebook page. And there's other links. If you get onto the Facebook page or the website, you'll find other links that we've got to Rumble and, and Telegram, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, there's another one called Team Damo too on Facebook if people want to join in and give us a help because obviously when it's a lot of people, uh, they go into a campaign and manning the booths, particularly on polling day, giving out how to vote cards, et cetera even handing out flyers at a supermarket if you want to do something like that. We've got all that sort of stuff, but we need the people that um, can devote the time to delivering the message. And I will include all the links to that in the show notes as well so you don't have to worry about writing it down if you're listening in your car. So um, thank you, Damien. Um, Thank you for spending the time with me. I do appreciate it. Um, And as I said, all the best for the future. Thanks, Cameron. Thanks, mate. Talk again. Goodbye. See you, buddy. And that was a conversation with Damien Richardson. Richardson. Um, as I said to you at the start, I really enjoyed uh, this conversation, man. And honestly, I wish it could have gone a lot longer because, um, you know, there was a few more things that I wanted to have a, a discussion with him about. But uh, I think that that goes some way in giving you an idea about what he stands for, what he's... Um, you know, what, what his views are on everything and, and all that sort of stuff like that. And I also hope that it does get you to um, not absolutely not believe or reject anything that the mainstream press comes out with, but more to, uh, you know, to, to question it and to think about it critically and ask yourself, you know, what it is uh, that the media is trying to get across to you. So anyway, um, as I said, I, I think it was one of the better ones, uh, hopefully, when he does become a senator for Victoria, we can get him on again uh, and have a bit of a further discussion with him and, and see how the billabong really is. Uh, now, as I said in the show, um, all the links to Daniel's, uh, Damien's, Daniel's, Damien's uh, social media pages and all that sort of stuff will be up in the show notes. So I do recommend that you um, look further before you cast your, your vote at the, the election. I do recommend that you pay considerable thought to where you're number one and the preferences go so anyway thanks for listening and look forward to having you on the next one bye for now